Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by AsweatLife.com, on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Kristen Guile and Cindy Kuzma. Good morning, Gina. Good morning, Gina. Good morning. And Cindy, this week you spoke with Sharon Aharon, right? I did. Sharon is a triathlete, a coach, and the owner of WellFit Performance, which is a pretty sweet triathlon performance facility here in Chicago. It's been around a long time. He's seen countless athletes achieve their goals, and he's achieved some pretty cool goals himself. So it was great to talk with him. And Cindy, you talked to him about the first time he completed an Ironman, and it sounds like he went in with a level of blissful ignorance and maybe not quite knowing what he was getting himself into. How did that work out for him? (laughs) Well, it actually worked out pretty well. Um, In fact, he thinks that that is one of the secrets of his success. He was had been in the Israeli Secret Service, which is super fascinating. And then he was a personal trainer for a while. And he was kind of getting bored and not really sure what direction he was going to go next. So he just decided one day that he was going to train for an Ironman. He didn't really know how to do it. But he just had this childlike approach to to having fun and being excited about the training. And of course, then he did some planning and got a little bit more serious about some of the hard work he was going to have to do along the way. But he really thinks that that ability to not even contemplate failure <laughs> helped him achieve success. He went on to to finish that first Ironman and, and many more since and then to build a whole incredible career around the sport today. And today he's helping take athletes to new heights in one way or another, right, Cindy? That's also true. He has kind of taken that same approach. You know, he we talked a lot about kind of the ways that the secrets to success for all endurance athletes, and he really does think it's a combination of committing to a goal and also maintaining some of that childlike excitement and wonder. And you can see that in the way he runs his business. He's focused, he's serious, he's intense, he has a a goal, but he also wants to do new things that are fun and exciting for both him and the athletes he coaches. So one of the exciting and fun things that he's done is put in an altitude room at WellFit. Um, I got a chance to try it out. It was a pretty cool experience. Basically, you go in there and you work really hard for a really short period of time. And if you swap out a couple of your hard workouts um, on uh, on flat land for a couple of workouts in that room, when you're training for a triathlon or a marathon, um, Sharon really thinks that you can do some pretty incredible things to achieve your goals. So it's, it's kind of a cool option for athletes here in the Chicago area. And it was interesting to hear him talk about how he not only wants to use it to help athletes here, it's part of his goal to kind of share this with athletes across the country and really kind of get this idea into the sport. It's like moving to Colorado, but not actually having to. Right, exactly. Although there are mountains painted on the wall. So if you uh, narrow your focus a little bit, you can pretend. (laughs) Cindy, it sounds like he enjoys coaching, not just the elite athletes at the marathon and the triathlon level, but anyone who's interested in investing in themselves and in improving, how does he approach training people who are maybe not at the elite level, but still want to make a difference in their training? Yeah, I would say that he kind of treats everyone the same, which is, you know, if you are committed to your goal and you really want to improve and invest in yourself, he's going to to help you get to where you want to be. And it doesn't matter if you are on, they have a well-fit elite team and you could be a really incredible athlete on that team, or you could be walking into well-fit wanting to do your first triathlon. And he supports everyone kind of the same way. As long as you take yourself seriously and take your training seriously and, and commit to it, 
he's going to take a holistic approach to help you reach your goals. And uh, my sense from my interactions with him is that if you if you are coached by him, you're going to work hard, but you're also going to feel like you have a community there to support you and you're going to have fun while you do it. So uh, that's really, he views all of those as important elements to success. That's incredible, Cindy. I can't wait to hear your full interview with Sharon. Hey, goal getters, don't go anywhere. If you stick around to the end of the episode, you'll hear from people just like you out there achieving their goals. And here's Cindy with Sharon. Girl, sit up, be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not around. This is Cindy Kuzma, and I am here on the We Got Goals podcast with Sharon Aharon of WellFit. And Sharon, thank you so much for joining us on the We Got Goals podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. So if we have listeners who are triathletes or other endurance athletes here in the Chicago area, they probably know of WellFit. You've been here. You've been around a long time. But for those of our listeners in other places or who don't know about it, tell me a little bit about where we are, where we're sitting today, and who comes here. Okay. So we, we've been operating since... 98. It started as a small venture of me trying to make a little bit of income while racing myself in Ironman races. And then um, my sponsor decided that uh, I'm too old to be a sponsored athlete. And they said I should go find a job and decided to open the WellFit training services and basically started to work with endurance athletes, mainly at the quality workouts. We didn't really do let's go run on the lakefront in two rows. And, and, and support each other this way. But we were focusing more on the bike on trainers. We started that program in 99. They run interval programs uh, on the track, which was uh, back in, uh, I believe it was 2000. And then swim technique classes, level one, two, and three back in 2003. And then in 2009, we decided to open the Wealthy Training Center, which was a one-stop shop most likely the first one in the country for endurance athletes with compi trainers, endless pool, gym floor. And recently we upgrade all of that and added an altitude training facility. Yeah, I'm really interested to talk with you about that at some point and how that's helping athletes achieve their goals. But, you know, I can't even imagine how many athletes you've helped over those years. So I know you have an incredible perspective on how they've achieved their goals, but we're here today to talk some about your goals too. So let's just go ahead and start with the, the first big question we ask everyone on We Got Goals, which is, uh, Sharon, what is a goal that you've achieved? Why was it important to you? And how did you get there? So definitely the first Ironman race that I've done. It was back in uh, 98, actually 96. I graduated uh, from, uh, did my master's degree in physiology. I quit my last job uh, or position at the Israeli Secret Service. And then kind of was underpaid personal trainer and decided I got to do something different. And one day I woke up and I said, I'm going to do the Ironman. And it's funny because I didn't really think about it much. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I got to do it it's in my bucket list or anything like that. It's literally over a weekend. I thought, what do I want to do? And, you know, I had a bunch of triathlon magazine in my apartment back then. It was like 12 pages. You know, that's about it. And I said, yeah, that's what I want to do. And probably 10 months later, I was in Kona racing, the, the only Ironman those days uh, in Hawaii, which was amazing, unbelievable. 
But I, I can't say, you know, I cannot say that, that I sat down and really thought about, you know, where do I go and what do I do and how I want my life to be and my career. And it just came out from within, from the core of my being. It just popped out. I guess it was sitting there for a while and I just didn't pay attention. And one day, boom, it came out and it was like probably the best move of my life. And I mean, we're 20 years later now from my first Ironman and I've done so much within the sport, within the community. It just was an amazing result. Wow. So 10 months, basically, from you when you decided this is what I'm going to do to there you are in Kona. What did that look like? I mean, if you didn't really think through logically step by step, like how, how did you go about making it happen? So the first thing I did is I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And the next day I went to the pool and swam 200 yards and threw up for half an hour in the in, in the locker room. Oh, no. That's a real story. I didn't own a bike, and 20 minutes was my long run. Back in the Secret Service, we were supposed to run 2K in 13 minutes, so we thought if you run for 20 minutes, that's long enough. Mm-hmm. And um, this is where I started. I had the physiology background. I, I used to work at the Israeli Olympic Training Center, and that's what my schooling about. And I uh, sat down and wrote... Uh, I think it took me three weeks to write a year-long training program that will take me through several peaks in the season. Uh, And it's all based on a one-pager I found online. You know, those days where you click on an address online and then you go to work and at 8 o'clock at night it finally pops out because it's so slow. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. And uh, this is how it all started. And and, and there was few obstacles on the way. not necessarily obstacle, but, you know, I call it mosquitoes. They bite you and you pay attention to them and then you just forget about them and you keep going. But the funny thing is that I didn't have a doubt in my mind that I will make it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was that naive. And I think that's what created the success. It was unbelievable. Okay, so where do you think that confidence came from? I mean, maybe naivete, as you say, but you must, it must have originated somewhere. I think sometimes, like little kids, you know, when they fall down, they don't think, okay, I'll not ever try again, you know, and I think that's what happened. I was this little kid who used to find a toy and, and dedicated um, his entire being to do that. I'll tell you a little story. Three months later, there was a seminar produced by, um, I think it was Fleet Feet, six hours with Mark Allen, who won Hawaii six times after seven times he tried. And he was trying to promote the, the Sydney Olympics uh, and a camp to do there and do the actual course uh, a day before the race. And I came to him at the end of the seminar and I said, hi, Mark, my name is Sharon and I'd like to do the Ironman. He says, great, how many years are you training? I said, well, I haven't really started. And he said, well, maybe you want to start with the shorter ones and then go to Olympic and maybe then the half Ironman and then three years down the road do the Ironman. I said, okay. And then the next question was, I would like to have a sponsor. How do I find a sponsor? He starts laughing and says, listen, why don't you start training, get good, win some local races, some regional races, get an agent, and he'll find you a sponsor. I said, okay. The next day, I had a sponsor, a full board sponsor that every pro today will like it. Not because I was so good. I was not, but I told the story to one of my clients, and they said, okay, we'll sponsor you, just like that. And I, I don't know what it is. I didn't even have to convince my client, just tell the story. 
and things just got into place along the entire year. Mm-hmm. It was just, an, 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 I can't explain it, but we would need more than just this podcast to deal with it. <laughs> right. but at this point, I mean, it's part of the way I coach my athletes of how to really engage with their, with their, with their, you know, um, emotions and how to really get engaged with with the goals and how to combine them two together to produce great training and a great racing. So for you, it sounds like it really started with that passion and that excitement and that that belief in yourself. Absolutely. I don't know if I had to say, okay, I'm believing in myself. It just was natural. It was sitting there. Um, and it, it was, again, as I said before, it was, I didn't think it would go any other, a different way. Mm-hmm. And one day I got a phone call. All right, you're coming. Uh, that, but that's a totally different story about how I got it and what happened after that. So it was fantastic. Okay. Uh, well, we could, we could go into that story or I don't know, tell me about some of the other mosquitoes that, that might've come up along the way and how you overcame them. You know, I, I've been carrying two surgeries in my knees and I was, I was thinking, I don't know how that's going to go. Cause, um, you know, I always run, ran with some, some kind of a brace on my knee and, but then I decided, okay, I'm on a training program. I know as, as, um, with my profession that you need to do swim, bike, run, strength training, nutrition is important. So I started incorporating basic strength training exercises into my plan three times a week. Mm-hmm. I never had to use a brace in my training since 98. Before that, I had to run with a brace. So strength training, just, just by doing it, and nothing, nothing complicated. Today we have so many different exercises and, sh- and systems, and the core like this and the core like that. Basic strength and conditioning program and it was phenomenal that took care of my knee problems. You know, I won one of the races, I think the early race, I think it was second year, um, you know, all the new equipment come about. I mean, we used to race with Speedos. I mean, we didn't have all this fantastic gear. Uh, Wetsuits usually was something that uh, we borrowed from surfing, not necessarily for, um, but in any event, um, you you go uh, into a race and uh, I think it was in St. Anthony uh, in Florida and, and, and all of a sudden you have a flat, but it's actually not a flat. You don't have a hole there, but the extender of your wheel, uh, fell out and took the valve with it, but I forgot to put an extender on the replacement tire. Uh-huh. So now I have a replacement tire, but I don't have an extender. So there's no way to pump the tire. So here I am walking my bike back to transition. And, um, I remember my wife's face is like, why are you walking? So, so this is something. So you learn over the time. And I think a lot of the things we did back then, we created our equipment rather than bought our equipment mm-hmm. because you, you need to be very creative how to put stuff on the bike and you know how to carry extra nutrition. And my coach was one of the best coaches in the country, um, Brock Fry. He, he coached his wife, Heather Fear, who won in, 70, in 98. And then he coached Peter Reed for a few years as well. Uh, and he once told me, you know, if you want to carry a lot of calories, but not a lot of, you know, bottles, then what you do is you make a gel, you add more of the powder into your bottle. I said, okay, I'll make a gel. So here I am making my gel and, and the whole day, it was a four and a half hour bike ride. My stomach is just killing me. I just don't understand hey, what's going on. And that evening we had a phone call and he says to me, so what did you do with your nutrition? I said, well, I made a gel, but it really didn't sit uh, in, well in my stomach. He says, what kind of bottle do you use? I said, I use a small bottle. And how many 
scoop did you put in? I said, 15. He, he yelled from the other side of the line. My wife was in the kitchen and she, she yelled, she heard him yelling, 15. It was so funny. So these are other things. Again, you learn and, and um, you know, trips to Kona are, are phenomenal because they teach you to love wind. Up until that point, uh, I was going on the lakefront. As a matter of fact, my longest ride was on the lakefront. I went up and down three times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. And, and um, today we have other routes that we do. So that was an interesting day. Uh, but I was always trying to avoid the wind. And after my first trip to Kona, you realize it's all wind. So that day I made a decision to fall in love with the wind and just go you know, against it as much as I could. And it makes a huge, huge difference. That is actually a really interesting point. And I bet that comes up a lot with the athletes that you coach, right? That, um, you know, you might have this goal and then you're training to reach that goal. Um, and you, when you're training, sometimes you make a choice that makes things a little bit more comfortable or easier in that moment. But maybe that doesn't quite prepare you as well for what you're going to actually face, right? Absolutely. And, and I think that's another thing. Talking about the, being a kid personality is go try whatever uh, whatever you feel right and sometime you know my daughter when she was in kindergarten every time they needed to uh, put the toys away she would run to the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like very convenient so I think that's the approach I took with the uh, wind going into this uh, the whole Chicago wind uh, scenario uh, I, I think the more you you change terrain change weather condition you learn a lot more and then one of the elements that we really work hard on is really learning your races what is the race look like what are the condition are what other condition um you might you might encounter maybe not they weren't there last year you know so for example we always plan for hot weather and cold weather you know because that can change i mean we had ironman wisconsin at 55 and rainy and we had ironman wisconsin at 95 so you have to prepare and that could change i mean think about the marathon this year in boston a couple of years earlier too it was freezing cold mm -hmm. so um a, this is one of the elements that we really work on how to prepare for that and and we do go out in those conditions i have a, um, a statement I, I borrowed that from hebrew from something that we use in israel so that you're not made out of sugar you know mm -hmm. you got to go out there and just do it if it's dangerous yes of course back up but if it's rainy there's no reason not to train, you know, especially not in the summer here in Chicago. Well, it's interesting too, right? Because it does take uh, that combination of both the passion and the energy and the excitement of the child, plus like the logical grown-up planning brain too, right? And I imagine you put those both together. When of you course. So I, I, the planning part is really goes uh, with systematic planning. I mean, this is what we do with everybody. There are certain volumes that we need to hit at certain time during the season, uh, and certain time you just reduce the volume to almost none and focus on uh, race pace or high intensity stuff. I think as endurance athletes, we don't do enough of high intensity and we lose that element, although high intensity intervals, um, I dare say CrossFit style training uh, will work really well uh, for us because we do need to use those high end uh, muscle fibers or energy systems. Uh, my story, I used to play basketball and, and, and soccer because I, I really loved that running after the ball, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and my first year in Ironman, I, I basically did times that it, it was hard for me to break 
until my third year again because I I came into the sport with fitness that no endurance athlete has, which is the basketball fitness, the stop and go fitness, which is you know your your all your joints basically, and the high end energy system which you do in basketball and soccer, and you don't really touch an endurance sport. So I had no problem running PR every half marathon I did um, within a half Ironman, which was faster than my only you know half marathon times uh but then you lose that and it took me i had to spend another two years in order to gain that back so just to say how important that that high-end exercising how team sports conditioning could benefit um endurance athletes and we're afraid we're afraid to touch on it we're afraid to touch it because it's not in the protocol i actually talked to one of the uh, more known coaches, run coaches in the city, and 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 I talk to them about a certain training method. We're runners; we're not doing that, mm-hmm. and and that's I think I think this is sometimes where the problem is, where you're so tight into that um, modalities that you really don't gain that extra um, edge. Mm-hmm. I would say that can maybe have you PR'd, and we can talk about that maybe later about people PRing with different modalities, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You get really focused on what you're doing. So what for you though, was that, how did that feel? Like, and when you kind of started in the sport and you were doing really well because you had that fitness background and then you realized, okay, wait, then you, (laughs) it took a longer to get back to that point. How did that feel? And how did you manage that? I think the second year of uh, Ironman racing was really, um, it wasn't devastating, but I was really surprised what, what happened because I had more experience. I, I trained more. I probably trained smarter when it comes to endurance sport, but I lost that high-end fitness, and I was frustrated. Didn't know what was going on, and then you know I said, okay, let's let's go back to and analyze what what was happening, and then I started to add some stuff. So I started to add playing soccer in the off season, so um, gain that fitness in the off season, as long as you don't get injured, you know that you're fine. And, you know, doing a lot of work with a basketball. So you have a lot of change direction, not necessarily playing because that's really hard on your body, especially as you get older, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but but I started to incorporate those things into my, my, my plan, not necessarily on a weekly basis. I added a, a lot more a variety into my uh, track workouts, a lot more variety in my bike workouts that are not necessarily the template of uh, the regular um, endurance sport, you know, swim, bike, and run. So, I mean, this does lead into another question I was going to ask you, which was, you've worked with so many endurance athletes through the years. What do you see as some of the most common obstacles to endurance athletes achieving their goals? And it sounds like maybe one of them is is kind of a narrow mindset or not being open to these other modalities and um, other ideas that might benefit them in their sport. I think if they start here, then they're already used to it. Mm-hmm. And I think in trying to draw them in and see that it's, it's for somebody who is experienced and they said, well, if I hit these three elements, goals in swim, bike and run, then I'm set. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think that's usually the case. And it's much harder to get them into uh, uh, looking at something different. Um, the other, it's the same thing with the coaches. I mean, if the coaches work in a certain way and they had a certain level of success, sometimes you need to add something else into the element. For example, the first thing is strength training, more conventional, not just working on the core and the stability. And I think this is like 
of a sudden strength training became core and stability, which is important. But what about strength, absolute strength, you know, doing a squat, you know, year round uh, things like that. So again, going back, if it's our athlete, it's not, uh, uh, not so hard. The other element is that people try, they need to surrender to the training plan, I call it. Not to overthink it and sometimes just go do it. While doing it, you have to be present and really absorb what you're doing. But you have to surrender to it. Many times, and, and that's one of the things that, that we did really well, is that we took an individual sport and we, we made it a team, a team sport. And we do it at 12, at 12 Fit all the time. We have a team of people that all competing individually, but because they work together rather lonely at their basement, they actually achieve greater success. Everybody push each other. Everybody support each other. And one of the elements with uh, these people is how to reduce the competitiveness during training and really focus on what you do and who you are get the support from your fellow athletes without mentally get devastated when when this guy is so much faster than you are on the track but you're faster than him on the swimming pool or things like that the other element is how to how lifestyle how your life get in the way of your sport <laughs> and i'm sure a lot of athletes can relate to that but uh, this morning i sat down with an athlete phenomenal athlete uh, she's preparing for the uh 70.3 world championship in south africa in a few weeks and all of a sudden life went sideways and, and and everything is overwhelming everything work and training so we sat down and we just start to move things around and and fix things and even let go of some of the work and said you know what you don't need that let's just focus on these elements and do that and and sometime the athlete gets up to the seat and they say wow that's really helpful and sometimes I don't know if I'm going to be ready if we're going to do all that change. You know, I mean, this is the kind of program we we were with the course we set up. I mean, now I'm starting to take stuff out, and that could be very um, demotivating for them. So, but I do think that I mean that's so huge, and and you see athletes struggle with that for sure. That like you know your body is like one system, and it can absorb only so much stress from any <laughs> any source, right? Whether it's your training or your life. Um, and that is where having a coach and, and as you say, kind of surrendering to the process or or trusting in that individual to guide you through that and adjust, um, that's where that's really important, right? I'd imagine that's something that the athletes here really benefit from. Right. And and here's the thing, going into some of the things that, uh, you know, there's a huge trend right now of online coaching. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that will work only if there's a conversation, not an email, a conversation in my mind. A conversation between the athlete and the coach on a regular basis or and seeing the athlete and that's why i love the training facility because so many of the athletes that uh, we coach actually are coming and training here so even if i don't coach them per se on every individual workout i get to see them i see i see how they look i don't even have to talk to them i see how they look i see how they walk i see how they uh, interact and, and I definitely see how their data looks like. And I can, that's a lot more, uh, many more tools that I can use in order to, um, to coach the athletes. I, you know, we try to do, you know, send and forget kind of programs. I, I just don't believe in it. It's not that people cannot, I think experienced athletes can do that. Highly motivated athletes can do that. 
I just don't I don't think that this is good for the beginner athletes to have a program somewhere in the in on, online and have an email every now and then. I think there is there's got to be more interaction to coach somebody. It's it's a it's um an active it's not a passive event, mm-hmm. and and I think this is where the facility comes from. Uh, the other element of what we did here is just to create a community, a family. It's a, we borrow the changes forever. Once a welfitter, always a welfitter, whether you like it or not. So. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, no, I know that that's such a huge um, element. As you say, you know, it can be all three of these sports and any endurance sport can be a lonely endeavor if you're out there training for yourself, uh, by yourself. So it is great to have that support system for sure. Um, so, you know, when I, I came here and visited you a couple weeks ago, and we were chatting then too, and you talked a little bit about... Um, <laughs> you know, the kind of athlete that's maybe a good fit for it to be coached by you or and the kind of athlete that makes a good, well-fit athlete. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what you're kind of looking for or what, uh, what makes a good fit for someone here. Like, could anyone come here and have success or are there certain qualities that make this a better kind of a facility for some people than others? So it's, it's funny. Um, many, back I think in 2007, we created the first elite training program. Uh, it was the first of a kind in the country. And what we did is we, 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 we saw a lot of programs for beginners um, where we train together and, and you get the support and you get the coach. But there was no uh, training program for elite athletes, people that already performing really well. And what I, I worked with the U.S. triathlon uh, program or national program for a few years. And I realized that if we compare ourselves to the European, the European has a huge pipeline because everything there is club teams. In the U.S., we didn't have club teams, and, and the recruitment for the um, training program was through the uh, universities. And usually, if you're a great swimmer but not qualifying for the Olympics, and you can maybe run, then we'll make you a triathlete. That was kind of the agenda. So I created the first um, elite training program here in Chicago, and that kind of gave us a bad name because here we are coming with the elite program, which. The name was Well Fit and Neat, which was another bad problem because they associated that with, you know, what the other things that we do. And we're going to a race and all of a sudden Well Fit and Neat take, you know, the podium for every age group. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the notion was like Well Fit is only for fast people. Mm-hmm. So I said, no, 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 we are making people fast. That's what we can do. So what we realize is that people that come here and get the most benefit is people that care about the results. If you just want to do, um, you know, one triathlon, we can help you. Uh, if you want to get the full benefit is you need to care about your performance. I think, I think this is when you're going to get the most when you come here. Many, many times we heard that we charge too little because of what people, what we, how we deliver the program and, and what the level of the coach is. Not to say that other programs are not good. I mean, there's definitely a fit for everything. I mean, and, and the more program we have, the better it is for the industry. Um, if, you're, if you care about your, your, your results, you want to improve, whether you just started or you're already performing, this is the place for you. And we always think about what is the cutting edge training routine that will get you there. We started, com- and not computer, but training on bike trainers back in 99 we did track records before i I believe before any other marathon program uh, back in the early uh, 2000s we opened a facility before anybody else for endurance sport that encompassed all the element that's the way i think i think and then we we created a community 
And it's not that simple. And go back to goals, that was not necessarily my goal, but that was my passion. So, and it's become what it is today. People tell me, look what you created. I said, what are you talking about? You know, to me, it just is. Yeah. So it's the building here. So you have the strength training facility here. You have the, the bike trainers and new bike trainers, right? Brand new bike room. Um, you have uh, all the training programs. So triathlon programs, elite and, and non, right? And um, marathon training programs too. And, and then the altitude room. Uh, so, so tell me more about that uh, and how that is helping athletes achieve their goals. So it's interesting. I was bored, truly. I mean, we've been doing it for almost 20 years and, and uh, I was like, okay, there's a lot of people that do that now. There's a lot of coaches and there's a lot of people with studios and I had to do something a little different and that will excite me and maybe benefit the athletes. And, and, and what I, we did, we upgraded the bike room. So now we have probably the most sophisticated bike room in the country where everybody has their own personal screen, touch screen, uh, screen with their own programming. So they, they can tap into our entire, uh, probably more than 400 workouts and do it themselves. They can create the workouts that their coach give them, whether they're a well-fit coach or a non-well-fit coach. But then if they're bored and they want to do the group workout, they press a button and they go into the system and they see everybody around and it's all on their private screen. And if they want to watch Netflix while they're working out, they can do that too on the screen. So that was the upgrade. We, we took another 2,000 square foot and we put it in there. The next thing was I need to do a game changer. And for many years, since the mid 2000s, I was thinking that there is more to altitude than just going up in the mountains and training. So I did a little bit of an investigation and I realized that Australia has 16 altitude training centers. England has six, US had five. I've been to three of them one, and only one of them does something with it. So I said, that's it. And we opened the altitude training center. There's such enormous benefit to training at altitude at high intensity. If I say one sentence about it, you train less and you gain more. I mean, who doesn't want that? And since February, we had a, a, a many athletes train there. They are crashing their PRs on a regular basis. They're winning. They're, they can go into a race during Ironman and then a week later PR the half marathon. It's just unbelievable. I, I, I'm a little bit Oh my God, what's it? What's in the air? You know, uh, there's a lot of science behind it. There's a lot of um, research behind it, and like anything else that is so great, like for example, strength training. Back in the 70s, the conclusion was that strength training does not help swimmers and runners, you know, because it's interfered with their coordination. Now we we can't even think about doing any kind of sport without strength training. Same thing happened with altitude training you know, or similar to altitude training. Up until, I believe, 2006 was the first breakthrough research. Everybody believed that in, the only way you can benefit uh, is to go in the mountains. I mean, the answer I always get getting from people I talk to is like, yeah, live high, train, train low. The funny thing about this, there was only one research back in 95 that proved that in Salt Lake City. It's still the gold standard, but how many people can actually do that? Mm -hmm. And we brought it into the everyday person. We brought the altitude into the everyday person and we have workouts that are as long as 25 minutes or about an hour. We have nothing over an hour. You don't need to be there over an hour. If you actually do something over an hour in there, chances are you're not going to get as much benefit. So I'm excited, as yeah. you can say. 
and people are, it's, it's like one or two workouts a week that they're doing. You're right. So they recommend, depending on how much time you have. So some people, uh, if, if you have limited time, it's about, we, we tell you, you need to be there twice a week, high intensity workout, replace the high intensity workout you have on your program right now. Not don't add it to it. And then do it about up to about a week before your race. Uh, a benefit lasts for about two to four weeks, depending on you know who you are. Uh, you can elongate the benefit a little bit by doing a maintenance program. But the people, some of the people we coach here, been in the room twice a week since February, and and just the, let's just say this: if you have more than four weeks, go for one than four more than four weeks. You know, just be there, use it as part of your plan. The biggest. Um, market that we we are actually getting into is mountaineers mm-hmm. we're getting uh, a lot of people that go into kilimanjaro uh, people that go to uh, any kind of mountain around the world whether it's a big hike or it's a technical climb and they come here and we have a testing protocol for them and we have a training protocol for them or they just i just want to do my own thing in the room mm-hmm. Yeah, one of one of our co-hosts on this podcast, Kristen Guile, uh, climbed Kilimanjaro last year, and I think she found out about that the altitude room right before she was going to leave. So she's like, "Oh, I didn't have time," but she would have loved to to incorporate that. Well, that's that's great for those athletes, and I would imagine too. I mean, when I think about it, you know, with my training, so I've been marathon training for years now, and I think even just the idea of having something new and exciting like that is is appealing, right? And something that gives you an extra edge. So. I would imagine that that does feed back into your your goal of engaging people's emotions and passions a little bit too, right? I mean, how does that kind of fit together, you know, using that new technology? Does it help with emotions in that way? Absolutely. Uh, I, I think one other thing about this, this uh, training routine, because it's such a high-intensity intervals, that's what we want to do. We want to trigger the high end of your fitness in, in altitude, so you actually get two workouts in one. Um, it's definitely bringing something new into the endurance sport. In the endurance sport, you have to have your pace, you have to make sure it's tempo is tempo, and 5K is 5K, and 10K is 10K. And here we bring you into, the, into a room and it says, no, you're gonna run at 5% elevation for 30 seconds as fast as you can. Doesn't matter how, you know, just, it's not a 5K, it's not a 10K. You can get on the bike and you press that lever to level 10 and you spin as hard as you can for 10 seconds and you might do it 15 times. Now, 15 times of 10 seconds, about two and a half minutes of workout, that will give you benefits in four weeks that you won't gain in a year in training regularly for an hour to an hour and a half for that period of time. Um, there's a lot of research compare protocols like this between you know doing it in altitude or non-altitude, and, and you see it is like 25% difference, 25 to 35% different in, in benefit between doing the same thing outside and inside. And it's phenomenal, it's great. Uh, it brings in, people wanna try it. People wanna try it. Uh, we are pioneers in this. And I think, uh, uh, but once people see the results and it takes about two weeks to start saying, hmm, something is clicking. Like for example, I was working very hard on that five second, 10 second sprints but two weeks later, you realize they're recovering a lot faster between those sprints. So you can maintain the power output, not just get to it and go down. Or you can go and bike another 45 minutes out 
outside of the bike room. So within two weeks, you can see that. In four weeks, you can start seeing performance benefits like in races. One of the biggest benefit things that we heard is that the hills are getting flatter, meaning we don't lose as much pace going up the hill. And then we have a lot more power towards the end of the, run, of the race. So we feel a lot stronger finishing the race. I'm not going to give my example from this last weekend, or maybe I should. So I, I raced in Santa Rosa. They canceled the uh, swim. And uh, so we started a time trial. And, and my last section, which was about 10 miles, was the fastest on the bike. Mm-hmm. Fastest 10 miles on the bike of the entire race. And um, it's not that we all of a sudden got wind that pushed me. It was significantly faster, by like three miles an hour faster on the bike. And I think I... I I believe it's only due to the training in the afternoon room. I, I came into the race with very little volume. Mm-hmm. So I can't say that my training was perfect. Uh, what I did focus on is really going into the room twice a week. Mm-hmm. And I can see that also with riding with my friends. All of a sudden, they don't drop me like they do, normally do. <laughs> well, that does lead into the other question we have on We Got Goals, which is about your goals for the future. Um, so... You know, if you had to name one thing that you kind of have your sights set on, I mean, it could be a personal athletic goal. It could be a goal with the altitude training room or how many athletes here you want to help. Um, you know, what is a goal that you have for the future and how do you plan to get there? So can I have two goals? I, I suppose you can. <laughs> well, we'll allow it. So, you know, one of the things as a coach that came from being an athlete, one of the biggest challenges I had, especially with this operation that we have down here, is how you see the athlete you coach in the beginning, the the coming and becoming at your level and then they're surpassing you because a lot of different reasons and one of them is because you lose fitness and one of my goal is to go back into training on a regular basis just as I used to so I can go into a race and enjoy racing it I mean I still race but it's I need to train more so that's one goal is to just get back into being an athlete again the second goal which is probably more important these days it would be the um, what am I going to do with a business? And my goal is to incorporate this uh, uh, new concept of altitude training encompass in a training facility like we have here into more location. Make it a part of people's routine. Make altitude or similar altitude training a part of coaches and athlete template of training. And, uh, and we do a lot of work in this at this point with a lot of lectures with a lot of um in open houses uh, we just started a beta program oh, this is phenomenal i'm so excited about this it's uh, basically invited we we send application out or ask people to 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 apply for that beta program and the beta program basically is a six-week program where we take people from different levels you know beginner athletes advanced athletes cyclists and uh, triathletes runners and we walk them through the training plan and we have training you know a base training baseline training and then post intervention training uh, not training but testing mm-hmm. and we're so excited we have 12 athletes and we have one uh, junior athlete that are uh, participating with more than 50 applicants and we had to choose you know it's hard to you know had to say who cannot go but we are one of the early programs that we did is exactly the program we're delivering in this other program. We had a marathon runner. She was stuck at 345 for nine marathons. Mm-hmm. She did four weeks in the altitude room, two sessions a week, 
in her approach to her marathon, which was a spring marathon. I think it was uh, an April marathon. And she PR'd by nine minutes. Now, we know in Chicago that spring marathon is usually not the best marathons you're going to have because it's very hard to train. She PR'd by nine minutes. And now she's not thinking about just breaking that, you know, 345, but qualifying for Boston. So I'm, I'm excited to see how these athletes, what the benefits are. And, and uh, some of them are going to world championship in triathlon. Some of them are going into the marathon. Some of them are doing some ultras. So I'm excited. Yeah, well, and that probably fuels your own goals as an athlete, too. I mean, I know it, it must be hard to carve, especially when you have this new kind of venture that you're trying to get off the ground. It probably is hard to carve out that time for your own training. Um, how is that going to look practically for you? Um, are you going to like block more time for it? Or what are some of the ways that you're going to kind of make that happen? It's simple. I think I already answered this. Surrender to the plan. <laughs> it is. It's really, truly is surrender to the plan i have a plan i write my own training program sometimes it's a little bit unrealistic but i make the adjustment but once it's there surrender to the plan i'm coaching a little less which gives me a little bit more time but there's always something to do there's i mean you sit down and the list is from here to nowhere you need to first of all find the time that is most comfortable for you to train for example i'm an afternoon kind of guy not necessarily a morning kind of guy sometimes i have to train in the morning but I train in the afternoon. So I do all my work usually until two or three o'clock. All my long runs are done like at noon, which is great. I go to lakefront at noon. People think I'm crazy. I don't mind. Get a good 10 out of the workout. But uh, I think, uh, you know, just fitting it where it fits best, you know. And, and I think when you come to work at some point, the brain stops working. And that's actually the point where you instead of fighting it, you just get up and do the thing and you come back, you're a lot fresher and you can have a little more sense in your answers and a little more sense in your emails and a little sense on anything else you do. Surrender to the plan. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we got goals. Really appreciate your time. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not. Hey, goal getters, Cindy Kuzma again here, just checking in to let you know that you're about to hear a goal from one of you, our listeners. If you would like to share your goal on the We Got Goals podcast, we would love to hear from you. All you have to do is record an audio memo or a MP3 wave file, email it to me at cindy at sweatlife.com, and you could be featured on an upcoming episode. Thanks so much for listening, and here is one of you with your goals. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road, I'll be back, I'm just reaching for a goal, so don't be upset when I'm not I'm Mariah Boyd from Chicago, Illinois. I have found that just telling everybody in my life, big people, small people, random acquaintances, my goal has really helped me stay accountable. I made a New Year's goal this year to reduce my paper towel use at work, and I told a random friend of a friend, and I saw her five months later, and she said, hey, how's that paper towel going? And I said, I completely forgot I set that goal. And so just her bringing it back up made me refocus on the goal, and I have successfully reduced my paper towel use. Um, environmental issues are a really big thing for me, and uh, I'm a dentist, and so I wash my hands a thousand times a day. So I just know that I'm throwing away so much paper, and it really kind of affects me and makes me feel bad. So 
trying to eliminate that as much as possible has just made me feel better about myself and my impact on the environment. This podcast is a SweatLife.com production, and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please, share it with yours. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including now on Spotify. And while you're there, if you could leave us a rating or a review, we would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guests this week, Sharon Aharon, to Tech Nexus for the recording studio, to our editor this week, Kathy Lai, and of course, to you for listening.